This past week, we celebrated our country's independence. There were backyard cookouts and neighborhood parades, and there were magnificent firework displays all across the city. We even celebrated here at St. Michael with our pie for the 4th of July. As part of our commemoration of American independence, we're drawn to some of our most beloved national icons, the Liberty Bell, the Washington Monument, and of course, the Statue of Liberty. I thought especially of the Statue of Liberty as I was reading through our gospel passage for today. At the foot of the statue, which for generations has greeted new immigrants arriving by boat into this country, is the invitation, give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. Doesn't that sound surprisingly similar to Jesus' invitation at the end of today's passage? Come to me, all you who are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. I wouldn't be surprised if this passage of scripture was of some inspiration to the poet who wrote that inscription, Emma Lazarus. But I'm getting a little ahead of myself. There's a lot going on in this passage even before we get to this familiar final line. Jesus is out teaching the people, and in response to a question from the crowd, he praises John the Baptist, calling him a great prophet. And then almost as if speaking of John reminds him of how resistant folks are to the proclamation of the kingdom, he goes into our passage for today. He says, to what should I compare you people? You are like children who complain that we won't join your games. We won't dance when you play music, and we won't wail when you mourn. You can't decide on what you want to play, and so you play nothing. And this is what Jesus means by that. John the Baptist came as an ascetic figure, avoiding rich foods and drink. He lived simply and he practiced a fairly rigorous form of self-discipline. He withdrew from the normal interactions of life and lived like a recluse. His call for self-denial and repentance didn't sit well with the people. Because John wouldn't dance to the tune they were playing, they wrote him off as demon-possessed. Jesus came and he engaged daily life fully. He interpreted the law in expansive, gracious ways. He ate and drank and celebrated with others, and he included everyone. No one was beyond the pale of his company. This radical inclusiveness, an emphasis on the spirit of the law rather than the letter of the law, didn't sit well with the people either. Because Jesus wouldn't mourn with them when they wailed, they wrote him off as a glutton and a drunkard. The people find reason to take offense at both John the Baptist and Jesus, and so evade the call of both. No matter what type of messenger God sends, the people don't want to receive the message. It would be pretty comical if it still wasn't so true. How do we receive the message of the Johns and the Jesuses of today? On the one side, we see people who are more conservative than we are, and we think they're being too strict. We wonder, what's their problem? Where'd they get such a rigid theology to think that God is such a killjoy? 
On the other side, we see people who are more progressive than we are, and we think they're being too lax. And so we judge them, saying, well, it must be nice to just come up with your own rules. Hope that's still working for you when you have to stand before God and give an accounting. We can be incredibly ambivalent in our faith, first condemning those who are too strict and conservative, and then condemning those who are too lenient and liberal. But really, posturing with these attitudes just keeps us from having to make any real change in our own lives. The Johns are too holy, and the Jesuses aren't holy enough. If we can find fault with the Johns and Jesuses, then we can ignore their demands. It's far easy or easier to criticize them than to take their message seriously. And yet, just as Jesus gets himself worked up on this subject, just as he's challenging us about our inability to receive God's message through the messengers that he sends, he changes course midstream. He becomes all pastoral on us. He soothes us, saying, come to me, all you who are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the truth that Jesus sees, that we've made our relationship with God a burden. Perhaps it's a burden of perfectionist rule-keeping that we know deep inside we can never live up to. Perhaps it is a deep shame at the belief that we're not worthy of God's call and love in our life. Perhaps our relationship with God has become a list of oughts and shoulds, just another weight added to the heavy load that we already carry just to make it through our days. In the midst of his frustration with us, Jesus shifts and finds great compassion for us. And so he gently invites us to wear his yoke. Some of us may have a misconception about yokes. We tend to think of them as oppressive, as instruments that compel us to stay in line and pull a heavier load than we would have otherwise. But that is not the purpose of the yoke. The purpose of the yoke is to share the burden. That's one reason the biblical writers sometimes speak of being yoked in marriage. It is not akin to the ball and chain image that we like to use of being weighed down and lacking freedom. It's about a life shared, about burdens born together, about making it through difficulties that might be too much for one person alone. A yoke is a blessing, not a curse. In his compassion, Jesus is inviting us to be yoked to him so that he might share our burdens and our life. But why choose to be yoked at all, even if it is to Jesus? Why not just go through our life partnering with Jesus in his work when we can and going our own way when we can't, 
or more likely don't want to. The reason is that as human beings, we are always going to be yoked to something. The only question is, to what will we choose to yoke ourselves? In our very individualistic culture, we tend to assume that we are free agents, that we're bound to other people and things only if we choose to be. We believe that our choice is between being yoked and being unyoked. Jesus seems to be suggesting, though, that our being yoked is not optional. The only choice we get is to what will we choose to yoke ourselves. In a sense, this is what Paul is driving at in our passage from his letter to the Romans. When he was yoked to the law, he struggled, doing evil when he wanted to do good, always at war within himself. Paul's testimony is that it is only by throwing off the yoke of the law and taking on the yoke of relationship with Christ that he finds the freedom to do what is right and to be at peace with himself. So for Paul as well, it's not a matter of whether you will be yoked or free, but rather to what will you be yoked? At this time of year, when we celebrate our freedom, I invite you to reflect on what you have chosen to yoke yourself to, whether intentionally or thoughtlessly, or even against your better instincts. Which are the yokings that wear you down, make you miserable and hold you back? And which are the yokings that make your days more joyous your burdens more bearable, and your life worth living. This is the yoke that Jesus offers us. Being yoked with Jesus means the end of pulling unnecessary burdens and of pulling necessary burdens by ourselves. In a life of purpose yoked to him, we are never left to our own devices never finally overwhelmed by the weight of our trials and struggles and weaknesses. We are freed from these burdens to pursue lives centered in mercy and justice and love of God and neighbor. Amen.